This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the Oak Road Hatton Podcast. I am Billy Mully and today I'm joined by Stephen Day looking back at the two recent home fixtures against Sunderland and Reading for previewing this Saturday's clash at Blackpool. First of all, Stephen, how are you getting on? Not too bad, not too bad. You? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, it would have been nice to be talking about six points, but it's two points. Um, unbeaten, I guess, in those two games. A decent enough response since Watford. Good job we didn't do a podcast after that because I don't think the feelings would have been um, worth broadcasting, let's just say. We'll go into the Sunderland game first, Stephen. Um, a game where we started brightly. I think we can we can agree that there was a sort of clear reaction from that Watford game. Um, I guess... A turning point would have been Lansbury coming off and that, that sort of sucked the momentum away. But first of all, a point against Sunderland, how do you sort of, how do you comprehend that? Do you take that as a good point or, or you know, an opportunity? It should have been an opportunity where we've taken all three. I think we should have taken all three, really. But at the same time, I didn't come away from that thinking, you know, that's two points dropped. It was... You know, it was a it was a tough game, and the minute they brought on, I think it was Sims, or what's his name? Yeah, um, like you could tell that the game was changing. I mean, before that, it was changing, and um, yeah, it's just frustrating our inability to see out games at home because I've still not seen us win at home this season. So, like in all competitions, so yeah, it's frustrating, and I think we. Yeah, it's very, very frustrating 
with us not being able to see games out at home because if we'd have been more in control of the game, we easily could have you know seen it out and could have got a win there, which we you know kind of really need if we want to start pushing for playoffs. But um, yeah, ultimately, I think it was a fair point. You mentioned there about your home record so far; it's pretty woeful. I think you should be handing me your season ticket. I think that's what it's telling me. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you should be to looting games at home anymore. By the sounds of things, if you've got a spare, what probably like, what's it worth now? Two hundred, something like that. You can take it. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk business after this. I'm sure. Um, going in, yeah, going into the game, I guess Doughty starting again. It was good to see a bright attacking display again from him. Morris getting in the score sheet. But I think that the main talking point has to be about Lansbury when he's playing compared to when he isn't playing. It just seems to be a, a complete difference. It seems to be a lot easier to to work through the thirds for opposition. Um, when Lansbury's in, he, he shuts those sort of avenues off. So looking at Lansbury, and I think we'll come on to Pelly soon, um, given given his influence on the game last night. But do we need somebody? that does the Lansbury job that's, you know, maybe a little bit younger in the January transfer window, somebody that, that can come in and, and Lansbury can take under their wing, under his wing. So I think it's one of those ones where I, I feel like probably every team is looking for a player like that. So the chances of us getting someone young as well is going to be very, very low. And it's, one of those ones where I feel like every team has got one player that does that job brilliantly, but there's no backup for them. Because um, I'd, I'd say they're probably quite in-demand players because they are so influential for the squad. And I think it would be very hard to get a hold of someone. And I think it's just, you know, my my personal thing would be Glenn Ray would be the best person to be his, you know, to you know, the backup for him because he does the holding midfield role well. Obviously not, doesn't set the world light on the ball, but he does sweep up stuff that, you know, stops attacks and he's he's brilliant at, yeah, stopping attacks and, you know, keeping us in control of the game, which Lansbury is very good at keeping in control of it and pushing forward as well. Um, and it's hard to replicate, but I... I personally think that we shouldn't be looking at, you know, once Glenn Ray is fit, letting him go straight away because I think he could provide the backup that we need when Lansbury is off. But at the same time, as I said, we're going to mention Pelly. Like, I think Pelly does the holding midfield role brilliantly as well. But I've always seen him as more of an, you know, someone that plays as more of an attacking midfielder rather than holding. And, but yeah, I think once Lansbury came off, it was evident that we weren't going to control the game. And I think that's one of the things that has been our problem as well. I'd say if Lansbury would have played the M1 derby game, I reckon it would have been a completely different story. Maybe maybe would have lost, but I think we wouldn't have lost in the fashion that we did. And I think there would have been a bit of a bit more fight. And, you know, you can see how the game changes once he comes off from you know, from injury or if he comes off later in the game and you can see how good we play with him. So it's, yeah, 
it's frustrating for him to be off injured again. And it's such an important role that he plays, that, that holding role. And we mentioned Pelly there. Jordan Clark goes and plays in that role sometimes. Alec Campbell has, has, has done it as well. And whilst all, you know, all very, very credible options, you know, Jordan Clark and Alan Campbell have been, been magnificent for us this season, but put them into that holding role. There's just something that, that goes away. I think what it is, is that Lansbury reads the game very well and he's, you know, one of the most determined players out of possession. He'll win everything um, that there's out, anything that's out to win, he'll go and win it. And I think after he came off against Sunderland, the wingers came in a little bit more. Jack Clark received possession in between the lines. He got more confident knowing there's there's no sort of Lansbury type figure that's going to clamp him down. It just became a little bit easier. And, and as we say, whilst Jordan Clark and Alan Campbell are brilliant at what they do, I just don't think they read the game as well as Lansbury. And I think that might be the key difference of... of why he is so good at what he does, Lansbury, and why we're seeing the best out of him this season, especially in that kind of formation, having having Clark and Campbell pressing high. Um, as we say, Lansbury is, is brilliant. He, I think we're seeing the best of him this season, which is frustrating, like Rhys Burke, that we can't seem to keep him fit for too long. And that's the real disappointing aspect of it all, that we just can't keep these players fit for you know, a run of four or five games and... I think it's definitely taken its toll. But saying that, it does, you know, provide opportunities like for Alfie Doughty playing in these different positions, getting a real good feel for being in this Luton team and, you know, Jordan Clark gaining even more versatility by by playing in that role and, and adapting to it and getting there. It's just that you want your strongest eleven each week and, and I think that's something we're struggling with at the moment, given the consistency in these injuries. Yeah, I think if we could play our strongest 11, we'd be right up there with challenging for the top two. Um, yeah, I think on top of Alfie Doughty, like, I think he could be like a bit of a... He's, he's like a young Jordan Clark at this moment because it's he's gotten, he's played left wing back, right wing back, midfield last night. He looks like he's going to be a very versatile player that can you know slot in where we need him. But obviously it'd be better to play him in his natural role, but it's going to be you know, very important to us to be able to have him play roles here, there and everywhere because, you know, it's evident that injuries are going to be messing us up again this season. Yeah, 100%. And, and going on to Sunderland, because I don't know about you, I was actually really impressed with, with the way they played, given that they're a newly promoted championship club. I know they've got the resources. They didn't necessarily spend too much but they they done well in the in the transfer window but the way they played football I think Tony Mowbray is going to be a success there but I just wanted to know from you Stephen how you thought Sunderland were as a unit and, and what you're kind of expecting from from them as the season goes on. I think like it was exactly what expected considering that Tony Mowbray is their manager um, I don't see them carrying on this form and um, they played really well uh, as you said, um, they were set up well. They, you know, attacked well as well. It's just, it's, I think before the game, they'd only won once in seven, I think it was. Um, some of that, if I'm correct. Um, and it was quite surprising to see considering how well they played. Um, so yeah, I don't expect them to be, uh, you know, in a relega- relegation fight. They might 
you know, sit around lower mid table and definitely probably going to stay bottom half. But um, I don't think they can be too upset about that if that's where they finish because, you know, that's that's a brilliant season for being back in the championship. Yeah, yeah, that does represent, you know, a good finish. You think of us, we, we scraped survival, finished 12th and then 6th. You think of Coventry, they've seen progression. Um, you know, even Blackpool now, they'll be pushing on for trying to, to succeed last season's, what, 17th, 16th uh, place finish. So, yeah, if you can if you can solidify yourself in this division first season, then, you know, you're on to good things for the second. And I think with Sunderland as well, just some of the attacking players they've got, Patrick Roberts is just brilliant. Um, I know Jamie, Jamie Castle's a big fan of him. I remember um, him wanting Elijah to, to use his contacts well and try and get him into the club. Um, Pritchard as well, he's quality. Leon Dajaku is another real bright, exciting talent. And then uh, Jack Clark as well, who, who for me ran the game, um, especially in the second half. Just a, a team full of bright attacking talent, and now that they've got Ellis Sims back, um, now they've got a striker back. I think they should be should be fine for the rest of the season. And when when Ross Stewart comes back as well, I'm sure we'll start to see Sunderland climbing the table. Yeah, go back on to Luton um, with Luke Freeman because I don't know. I don't know about you. I don't know how you feel about this, but I just think he's at the centre of a lot of criticism at the moment. I don't quite understand it. Um, it's, it's a difficult situation because obviously he came on for Lansbury um, and going on to that situation we were just talking about, we, we did lose our intensity. Sunderland did carve their way through us a little bit more, but I think, I don't think the problem was Freeman coming off. It was more Land. Uh, sorry, it wasn't Freeman coming on. It was Lansbury coming off, not, not, Freeman's fault I don't think at all yeah that's how I see it I I don't understand the criticism for him either I can understand some bits of like he's got a lot of flair but his end product is lacking a lot but at the same time he often looks like the only person that's got the confidence to do something different rather than passing it off straight away or turning and passing back which I understand that's how we play and we do and play a lot of longer balls. But, you know, sometimes he'll have a, a shot from 25 yards when, you know, you don't expect one of our players to. And it's like, at least he's putting the effort in to try and make something happen. And it look, you know, feels like a lot of players, you know, will run towards the attackers and then turn and choose the easy option to go back or, you know, sometimes put a cross in. And, you know, sometimes it's not, wasn't the best option, but, I think Luke Freeman has, you know, the, the the flair and the creativity to actually change our attacking approach. And then when he's off the pitch, it feels like we've almost got like one or two options that which is either go out wide, cross the ball in, or knock the ball long. And so yeah, I don't understand the criticism too much. And I think it's just one of those ones where Luton fans like to have a scapegoat and I think he's unfortunately you know, for some reason, being a bit of the scapegoat. But, you know, Pelly's back now, so I, I should think the uh, the heat will be off of uh, Freeman for a while and be back on Pelly, naturally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely see that. And with Freeman as well, I think 
because when he came on, he and Alan Campbell operated as that midfield two that pressed high, like Clark usually does. And Clark was the one that dropped into the Henry Lansbury role. And I think off the ball, Freeman Freeman was perfect. He pressed well, pressed with intensity, listened to the triggers and, and everything like that. And on the ball, as you say, he's got that flair. He's brave on the ball. Sometimes things don't work out. He tries a little creative flick or whatever, and it doesn't really pan out. But I think that's the kind of that's that's the thing you need, especially in central areas. We're not the most creative when going through the thirds. We're we're you know we boss teams when we go a little bit more direct, and you know the um, combinations with Elijah, Colton Morris, and Harry Cornick when he's on, and obviously the wing backs are very important to the way we play. But we don't tend to create massive masses of chances going through the thirds and I think that's what Luke Freeman gives you it's not always going to work but he gives you that threat going in between the lines and, and breaking teams down playing football in a different way and um, yeah so I, I don't get the criticism too much at the moment um, I do get it. it's frustrating when a move does break down but ultimately you need somebody like Freeman to, to break those lines because you know one in five works out and he's the hero kind of thing. And I think like a lot of the time Luton fans aren't happy regardless of what's going to happen. It's like, the you know, last night it felt a lot of like, it was like a lot of unhappiness came from turning and passing back and not going forward straight away. And he, you know, he offers that, that difference and it's like, but if he's offering that difference, they're going to be unhappy when he loses the ball or, you know, pass the ball, straight or shoots and it's a weak shot like it's going to be the same regardless it's going to be unhappy if we're passing back passing sideways or it's going to be unhappy if the move breaks down and I think that's just where it kind of comes from as well and it's like I think because he's the one that's trying to change that a little bit he's going to be you know a bit of a scapegoat as well which is again unfortunate but you know we're a hard fan you know a hard fan base to please a lot of the time it feels like yeah, yeah. I do think sometimes it's just specifically Luton, but I'm sure every fan base must have. I've got a, a mate that supports Preston that he I see him tweeting saying, you know, we lose, we moan, we draw, we moan, we win, we moan. Can't be happy. And it's like, I, I understand that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think we can definitely share those views. Going on to Reading and... Again, I'll come to your thoughts about the, the game in general, Stephen. Um, for me, it seemed that it was a positive enough start again. We turned them a few times. We got into some good positions. Um, Sonny Bradley's injury in a what, 27th, 28th minute, again, I think sucked a little bit of energy away from us. Um, it allowed sort of Reading to, to regroup. And I think they used that sort of break, that seven, eight minute break a little bit better than we did. They grew into the game a bit more and then it was two direct teams trying to outpower one another and there was no real method to the madness. Yeah. It I said last night, I've been saying a lot, like I don't think I've ever enjoyed watching Luton v Reading as a fixture. It's gotta be one of the worst fixtures in football because it never provides anything good. Like even that 3-0 loss back in the first season, back in the championship. Like, it just... I don't think they were anything special. It's just we were that bad that they scored three goals. And I can't... You know, the FA Cup game a few years ago, like the league games, I just... 
none of them, even when they beat us 5-0, I think it was, I think it was then, like, on that run to us staying up, it just wasn't anything special. Like, obviously for a team to score five goals, it's good. But, like, no game has been good between us, really. Especially not for the for a neutral. And last night was no exception. And it was just who could hoof the ball better than the other. And Andy Carroll was obviously going to give them a, a brilliant opportunity to create a few chances from long balls. But at the same time, like, I think our approach was wrong because we kind of gave away a, a few silly free kicks within crossing distance. And that's the one thing you don't want to do against a team with Andy Carroll in. And at the same time, we were hoofing the ball or if we had a chance to put the ball in the box from distance and there was a chance for him to get back, he was back. And he, you know, nine times out of 10, he was winning the head. And it was like, we, I don't want to say we didn't have a plan B, but it was frustrating that we didn't go into that match thinking, right, if we play on the ground, we've got a better chance of breaking through. Um, And yeah, it's, you know, it was a kind of, both teams cancelled each other out because, you know, the long balls just weren't, you know, creating any proper chances for either team. Um, and I think the referee was useless as well. But every every team will say that when there's been a bad performance. And I'm not saying that he was better for Reading, but just, yeah, I think it kind of contributed to the madness as well and the, the neither team to control the game that the referee was, you know, quite quite bad. Speaking to a Reading fan before the game, and we were both sort of in awe of the other team's front line. Um, Andy Carroll is always going to give us problems. Uh, Jaco Mighty, of course, scored a few goals against us in the past. Tom Ince, uh, you know, he's been really, really good this season. He showed that at Kenworth Road. And of course, our attacking lineup is is ranks within sort of the, the top, you know, four or five in the division, I'd say. So, for it to finish nil-nil is, you know, typical of football. I think I said the same thing when we went to West Brom. I thought, there's no way this game ends nil-nil. It did. So, every time I think there's going to be goals, it's going to be nil-nil. It's um, it's becoming a bit more than just a theme at the moment, which, um, yeah, sucks the joy out of football, I'm sure. Going on to um, Pelly Ruddock, because we've got to talk about him. Um We've said so often in the past, he's a massively decisive figure. Um, A lot of people have a lot of opinions about him. Um, I thought he had a good game. I thought he had a really good game. And it's, yeah, it's just very clear to see that there are so many opinions about his performance last night. Both, you know, I've, I've seen both sides of the spectrum. Some saying it was, you know, man of the match performance, unbelievable. Some saying it was dreadful and he shouldn't wear the shirt. It's, uh, I guess, the nature of, of Pelly Rudder Companzo. He draws the inconsistent views from the Luton fans. Yeah, I think he put in a man of the match performance because I don't think anyone really performed better than that. Um, and it was, a, as I said, it was quite a horrible game. Um, but he was a standout performer because he, you know... I've seen a lot of stats saying that he completed um, the most or had the the highest pass completion out of any player on the pitch. Um, And he's a, you know, that's the sort of thing he brings to us. And it's brilliant to have him back. And you could see that, 
he was trying to create chances from where he was, like, you know, playing quite deep as the, you know, playmaker from, yeah, quite deep. And it was, it was clear to see how much we've missed him because obviously Lansbury provides us a good role, like, you know, good option there. Um, but Pelly is, trying to find my words. Yeah, he's he's just very important to the team, and it's it's brilliant to have him back. And he's he's just I love him. And his performance last night, you know, it wasn't a world beater performance, but at the same time, he's got to get back to match fitness. And it was it was clear that he's still got it, and he's still you know a first team player for us. And you know, his pass completion was brilliant. He you know put some good blocks in, some good tackles in. He didn't really lose the ball. And, you know, people seem to think that about him, that he constantly loses the ball. But I don't think he lost the ball any more than any other player. So, um, yeah, it's it's just brilliant to have him back. Yeah, because, again, I'm on your side here. I thought it was a good performance from him. Um, just looking at him compared to Lansbury, it seems that he... I've been singing Lansbury's praises, but it seems that we were even more direct with Lansbury in the side compared to Pelly. Look, yesterday Pelly was finding pockets of space. He wanted to get on the ball. He was brave in his passing. Um, yes, I do think he showed a little bit of rustiness at times, but he's had seven months out injured. That's to be expected on his first start. But the fact that he wanted to keep getting on the ball, he wasn't hiding from it. Um, he was playing those passes into into sort of forward passes as well, positive play. I think it was a really, really good display from somebody that hasn't played football in, in a very long time. And of course, um, you know, we are two very big Pelly fans. So do we have rose-tinted glasses on? There's also the other side of things where there's, there's you know, a Pelly Ruddock agenda. So those saying it was a disastrous performance, you know, you can't really can't really take that too seriously but I think it's probably a happy medium where we say okay it was a, a decent enough performance from him we shake hands with those with the Pelly agenda and we move on yeah I don't I don't get the agenda but yeah it, as I said it wasn't a world beat performance but it was good and as you said for someone that's been out for seven months it was a very good performance and I think on the topic of him and Lansbury it, and you know playing less long balls. I think he he was waiting for the right ball. Like if he was going to go long, he sort of waited for the right ball rather than just going for it and hitting it in the sort of direction that, that Adebayo is going to be in, um, which I think was good because it has kept the ball on the ground. And even though a fair amount of time it would go back to Bradley, it would go back to whoever was at centre-back and then it would go long, but he wasn't opting to go straight for it. And I think he found one or two long balls that were brilliant long balls as well. They, they reached the man and they were, you know, kind of defence splitting as well. And I think that's another thing that he brings that is he looks for the right ball rather than just going for it straight away. And he wants to, I think he's still got that mind of, he wants to play from the back rather than play the ball long. Because you know he played under John Steele and he played under you know Nathan Jones in League Two, League One, where we were you know we weren't known for long balls then. We were known for splitting teams apart from playing around the back, playing forward, and then one or two good positive 
passes forward and you know our wing backs will be in in behind and you know crossing to the strikers and it's like I think he's still got that which I think is going to give us a good option this season as well and then what I was just going to say there I'd love to see this season I'm a big fan 4-2-3-1 and I know we've moved a a long way now playing three centre-backs but I'd love to see for a solid back for Reese Burke and somebody else and James Bree, Amari Bell, and then just having Lansbury and Pelly. Yeah. There. I think that would be that would be great. I know it seems that we've moved on with the back five and I think um it largely it works and it's a system that, you know, we are getting better at. But I think flexibility wise, I'd love to see the four two three one again. Add a bio up top, uh, Morris on the left, which you know, we, we've seen he's caused problems from there before. Then Harry you, Cornick on the right, maybe, and Clicker, number 10. Well, that's the... I would, Campbell, maybe I, would, well. I would, if we're going to say about that, I would I would put Cornick right wing um, and either Onyedimma or Doughty left wing and either Morris or Adebayo up top. And then you've got Freeman in the middle behind them. And then, you know, you've got Lansbury, Pelly, and... Campbell that can play those holding midfield roles. I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of that formation as well, and that's I would love to see us play that sort of style because you've got to think our options on the wings are actually brilliant because you've got Clicker that can go left wing, right wing, Freeman that can go either wing or behind the striker. You've got on your dimmer that can do both as well, and I think that would that would utilize our wide players well. But at the same time, I think we've you know kind of resigned to knowing that it's not going to happen and Jones will play what works and, you know, we're going to be happy whatever if it works. Well, we need, well, given injuries to Bradley and, and potentially Lockyer, we don't really know about that one yet. We might need to play a solid back four again. We never know. Um, that leads me nicely on to the next topic of discussion, Steve, and that is Michael Hector. Do you think he'll he'll come in? Do you think he's somebody that we should be looking to bring in? Of course, pictured training at the opening training session. Um, report from Luton today suggesting that he is um, currently being considered. Is he the kind of player that we should look to bring in? I know Bradley's injury might accelerate the need of, of addressing that before the January transfer window. But is he somebody... Is he somebody special in Jones's words? Is he somebody that improves the current defensive options, or is he somebody? Would we be bringing in somebody for somebody's sake? I think on the on the on the idea of it improving the team massively, I don't know enough about him to really comment on that. But I think um, I don't think Jones probably sees him as like someone special. But at the same time, it's if he's still training with the club, if he's been here for a while before that open training session, it's probably quite a good thing because he's being well considered and we're not we're doing the the right thing and not jumping into it. But at the same time, you could argue that we are in a position where we don't have a squad to to really wait and see if it's the right player or you know we haven't got the kind of. I've got the depth at the moment at the back to just say, you know, we're going to wait it out. We can see. I'd say we'd be better off signing someone to fill that, fill the gaps because we are low on centre backs now. With Gabe Osho getting a red card, 
it was, you know, I think we're all proud of him for what he did. But, you know, it's left us in this position. And I, in my personal opinion, I don't think we're in a position to wait out, wait out and see. I think we're in a position where we have to sign someone that can jump in straight away and and not worry about whether it's going to improve the, the team. Because I think we saw last season that injuries will, you know, affect us massively. I'm thinking with Michael Hector, I think if a fully fit Michael Hector comes in, he would be unbelievable for us. I think he's the kind of player that defensively, airily, um, I guess athletically as well, um, he is one of the best defenders in the championship in recent years. And I think he was unlucky last year at Fulham that he had uh, Tossin in front of him because you know Tossin was one of the best centre-backs we've seen in the championship in recent years. Michael Hector is not too far below that. It was just that, that Tossin was that little bit better. Um, I think Hector still is one of the best defenders in the championship. He's also very good on the ball. He's, he's somebody that would be able to play up, you know, right side of a back three in, in the centre as well, which I think is massive. You can have, um, you know, that means you can have Burke in there as well. You can have potentially Lockyer on the left and, and have a free uh, of, of them. Think as well with Hector, he's somebody that, similar to Snodgrass, he's probably going to demand wages that are a little bit higher than, than what we'd typically be able to afford. So it, it, it's the kind of feeling, does Jones go to the board and say, you know what, you know how well Snodgrass done last year and you know the impact he had in getting us to the top six? I believe he's going to do that again. And, and Jones says that to the board. Um, it's whether he believes that he can have that that same sort of desired effect. And personally speaking, I think he would. I think Hector is the kind of player that that could convert us from this team that are currently lagging behind the top six to to establishing ourselves in the playoff positions again. I think he's got you know all the characteristics you want from a from a centre back in in this level, and he's one that I'd like to see signed tomorrow. Fair enough. Like, whether he's fit though. Whatever is fit, we'll have to wait and see. I think me and Jamie had a bit of a disagreement on this a while ago that, you know, I've been adamant that even though we can't replace Naismith, we do need backup at centre-back. And I do think it's our, you know, least... I think I said this before, it might be right-back or centre-back, but, you know, I do think it's our least, like, in-depth position. Obviously, we've got a lot of players, but our injury list and... You know, the way players are in and out of the squad, it's somewhere where we need to be shored up. And I, you know, as I said, I personally say we need to sign anyone that's available that can do a job for us at centre-back and because at the moment we need it. Obviously, with the international break coming up, that gives us a chance to get players back. But, you know, if we're going to sign someone, maybe we'd want to sign someone before that because... He's got time to gel with the squad. Yeah, yeah, makes perfect sense. Be interesting to see if anything happens with Hector um, now or over the next few weeks. International break also coming up with the World Cup. So will that be the time we look to bring Hector in? Will we send him on his way? It all remains to be seen. We'll go on to Blackpool away now. My first big away day of the season. I cannot wait. Um, 
I don't. Uh, it's not really the football at the moment that that's uh, getting me geared up for this one. It, it's more the occasion of going to Blackpool. But you look at the game, Blackpool um, have been impressive in stages, but largely they're, they're still 15th or 16th in the division at the moment. So, you know, not turning up any trees or anything like that. The thing that worries me, Stephen, is I was looking at a stat earlier. We've averaged 2.33 points per game against teams in the top six so far this season, which is incredible in itself. But we've backed it up with just one point per game against teams outside the top six, which, you know, slightly worrying, but at the same time, very, very strange that we're competing very, very well against the top teams and, and not having our way against the, the teams lower than us in the division and, and it's not currently vying for a playoff spot. It is worrying, but then at the same time, I think it's quite good knowing that we've got a very good chance of going to Blackpool away, which I, you know... I associate Blackpool away with rain, wind and, you know, a depressing sort of place. So if we go up there and get a point, I'm not going to be upset about it. Um, it would be good to turn our form against teams in the bottom half. Um, and I think it will be a struggle to, but at the same time, our away form is better than our home form. So I think it will be easier to take confidence into that game than it is to sort of take confidence into a game against a home against like Reading. I can't believe you've disrespected Blackpool like that. You associate it with wind and rain. I associate it with lights, a big tower and a lot of beers. I think um, it's the ultimate away day for, for me. It's, um, I don't think it's a view shared by many, but Blackpool way is, is probably my favourite, favourite day in the calendar. I would love to have done it this season, but it just wasn't financially viable for me, unfortunately. Well, we'll do it next season. Granted, we're we're both in the same division, and I'll I'll change your mind because it really is it is really really a good away day. Um, just speaking about the away day last time, it was three nil. Great performance. Um, you know we we sucked up a lot of Blackpool possession. We broke very well, very organised display and deserving to, to walk away with all three points. Do you expect it to be a little bit more difficult this time around? Blackpool under new management now, Jerry Yates seemingly on fire. Uh, there, there does seem to be a different kind of feel about Blackpool this season. Um, I think they are, you know, around about similar sort of area to where they were last season. And I think they were sort of taking teams in the top half of the table, you know, all the way in games. Um, and I can't say I I personally see a different or have a different opinion or feel to them, but I think it is going to be a tough game regardless. Blackpool away is a tough game, you know, for any team in this division. Um, yeah, but as I said, I think with with our away form and... With, yeah, with our away form, it's going to be. I'm, I'm quite confident that we'll get a result, but I, as I said a few times, I don't know enough. I don't know enough about Blackpool to really say that it's going to be different to last season or it's going to be the same. And um, but I, I feel quite confident. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Blackpool and their threats. Jerry Yates, I just mentioned there, 
top scorer in the championship at the moment. Um, I don't think too many people would have had money on that at the start of the season. Um, of course, a, a good enough striker. Um, now I think he's getting interest from the Premier League. Uh, but he's somebody that we're going to have to keep an eye on, especially amidst this sort of defensive conundrum we find ourselves in where we don't really know who the back three will be come Saturday, given um, you know player availability issues and the, the continued injury list. It's going to be a tough task to contain him. He's quick, he's lively, um, can link the play as well. He's somebody that we'll have to keep an eye on. Also, Charlie Patino got the Luton connection there, got that song that's probably in everyone's head at the moment. It's got everybody hating Pierney. Right now, now that you said his name. <laughs> you thought you escaped it. He's coming straight back. But yeah, he's been he's been brilliant for them from, from what I've heard. Still just a teenager and, and really bossing games from the midfield. Um, you know, they've, they've got had Gary Medine as well that's caused us problems. They're a team, I guess, a little bit like us. They've got, they've had a lot of players that have, played for them in the lower division and now they're at a level where they're wouldn't quite say thriving but they're they're performing to a good enough level considering this is only their their second season back in the championship yeah i can't really disagree too much with that <laughs> or agree too much as that i don't i don't know enough about them but i think like for me it is a worry going up against the the league's top scorer with our, de- as you said, with our defensive conundrum, it's the sort of thing you don't want. You don't want to have a, a makeshift defence going up against the most prolific striker in the league. It's about time I say um, there's going to be loads of goals because um, our front line, Jerry Yates is on fire. Um, we all know what that means, but... Yeah, so it means a nil-nil draw. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't say it though because I'm going up and I'm not. I don't want to travel all the way for a nil-nil. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep my thoughts to myself on that one. Um, but yeah, just going on to us. Of course, there's going to be a few uh, changes. One uh, will be enforced with with Sonny Bradley, Tom Lockyer. We're not too sure if he'll be fit. It's, I think a report said that he won't have to follow concussion protocols, which is a positive. But whether he's fit and, and ready to go, that's uh, that's another question. Do you think we'll see you know James Bree in a back three again, Dan Potts and Amari Bell? Um, or if Lockyer's there, would you take Bree out the back three and put him right wing back, or would you keep Bell in left centre back or put him left wing back? Wh- which way would you go, and, and would you then use Alfie Dowerty? I think I'd use Alfie Dowerty. I think. Um... Dowsey right wing back, Bree centre back, Lockyer, Potts, and then Bell the left you know left wing back. I think that's how I would go for it, um, just because I think that is the most sure way of doing it. Because I think Alfie Dowdy looked really good at right wing back, um, and it's yeah, I think it for me that would be the way to go. Because I think any other way is going to be a bit of a risk because you've got. Potts, I think, is a lot better at centre-back on that left-hand side. And he is, you know, he's, he's good in the air. And I think it's it's important to have him in if we, you know, really need to. Obviously, I don't think he would be, if we had a fully fit, you know, back three of uh, Burke, Bradley and Lockyer, that he would get in there straight away. But um, 
I think he's, you know, quite an important player for us while we are in this, um, you know, time of desperation with our centre-backs. Come to the score prediction. I promise myself I'm not going to get carried away and predict a goal fest because, yeah, we've spoken about it already. It doesn't pan out that way. I need to keep reminding myself that. But, Stephen, what are you going for? 2-1, Luton. I was feeling optimistic. I was going to go 2-1 Luton, but the sake of going for something different, I'll go for one all. I'll go for a world battle at one all, and you know we are the division's um, joint highest uh, drawers. We, we've drawn as many games as, as uh, I don't know who it is that we're at the we're at the top. Uh, eight draws from seventeen games, is it or something like that? Yeah, yeah, we. We're really gaining that kind of reputation at the moment. That's something we haven't really had before. I think the last couple of seasons, we haven't picked up as many draws as majority of our championship counterparts. But yeah, that's uh, that's something we keep seeing. Well, we're not losing, thank you. It's, it's fine. Yes, that's a good point. As long as we don't lose, that's the good part. Every point matters. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Stephen. And thank you, everybody else, for listening. Of course, we are at Oak Road Hatter on Twitter. We are Oak Road Hatter Pod on Instagram. And also check out our website where we start to post a little bit more frequently of late. We are www.oakroadhatter.com. And until next time, it is goodbye from us. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market this podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.